Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are doing the coolest interview ever. No offense to our previous interviewees, <laughs> but we are on the Schooner Fame. We are in? docked in, yeah, inside the Schooner Fame, sitting down with Captain Mike Rutstein. Welcome. It's great to be here. Well, I. Uh, I'm here all the time we're here. this is my boat. But <laughs> it's, it's really cool to have you guys down in the forecastle. This is not a space that was built for podcasting, as the, you could probably tell. No, I, they, but it they, works. There's a table. There's some chairs. What, el- what else are we going to do? This is actually the space in which the crew would live. You know, on, on the boats, as the original fame was built for yeah. cod fishing, the crew all lived kind of crammed up in the bow. And so, so what are we looking at? Some very small bunks, which you can see. Four We have people? a head, which they would not have had. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just our little galley there. Um, this is this is a dressed up version, probably what the original Fames folks would have looked like. Yeah, I was wondering how closely this part resembled the original. Well, Harold Burnham, who built the boat and then later built out the forecastle for us, actually went into a a schooner called the Evelina Goulart, which uh, he and Bob Douglas and a bunch of other guys fished up from the bottom of New Bedford Harbor and saved at the Essex Shipbuilding Museum. Really cool. Um, unfortunately, it's deteriorated so badly that only people like Harold can crawl through it without dying or mm. getting severe cases of tetanus. Oh my gosh, but good. He was able to like crawl through the interior of this boat that had been preserved at the bottom of the harbor like a time capsule and pick up some stuff about how these spaces were built out. So this replica was built in 2002, yes, correct? Yes, the winter of 2002, 2003, and we launched her on June 14th, 2003. How, oh, that means, is that 20? She just had her 20th birthday. There you go. And I was going to say, like, like last week, <laughs> it rained on her birthday party. Oh. <laughs> We've had a lot of rain this year. It's, it's been it's a wet season. A, yeah. Did you guys have, like, plans to go off of to build this boat? That's actually not how they were building boats like this that okay. early on. So... Boats like this tended to be built off of half-hull models, which you can see if you go to the PBD Essex. They used to have a whole wall of them, and now, unfortunately, all that stuff is in storage. But a builder who was going to build a a, a relatively modest vessel like this would start by carving the shape that he wanted. You didn't have to carve the whole hull. You could just carve half the hull because, in theory, it's going to be symmetrical. And you would take the lines. Lengthwise, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So once you've got the shape you want, you take the lines off of that model. And you basically draw them full size on your lofting floor. And you use those lines to make patterns. So obviously they didn't have computer-aided design in 1810. Nor did they really have any need for blueprints. If they could have photographed the lofting floor, that would have looked like what you're looking for for a blueprint. But in fact, the space they had often was so small relative to the size of the boats that the sets of lines overlap. And if you or I look at them, it just looks like chaos. Only somebody like Harold can look at a lofting floor and go, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, it's going to look like that. I had no idea. There are no depictions of the original fame. There's a lot written about her in the newspapers in Salem, mm-hmm. particularly in 1812 and 1813, less so later in her career because there's a lot of other, other stuff going on. Um, it was a busy, so busy time. It was a busy time. <laughs> it was a lot going on. And, of course, Salem at that time had two rival newspapers that were just either copying directly from each other or just sniping ridiculously at each <laughs> other. And they came out basically on alternating days. You know, So you got that going on. There's a lot of um, – it's, it's a lot like today, in fact. I, people think the War of 1812 and that the Federalist period is so – how could it be relevant? Yeah. But I think one of the things that Hamilton did was it showed that you know not that much has changed. And a lot of the issues – that the War of 1812 were fought over, you know, things like immigration and the power of the states versus the federal government. I mean, these are still issues that are with us that we still are fighting over today. Yeah, I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with the Revolutionary War, War for Independence from Britain, and of course, the Civil War, us fighting ourselves. But I feel like the War of 1812, no offense to a guy who's been studying it for so long, but I feel like it kind of gets tossed to the side. It's like the step sibling it's, it's just the, not it's sexy just, compared to the revolution yeah. and the civil war I mean, so much more ink has been spilled on those but it, it is relevant and yes. i think um yeah when i've got people trapped on the boat with me for an hour and 45 minutes i can explore that a little bit you're like, heck yeah you're gonna listen <laughs> <laughs> i i don't do that actually but sometimes you do get folks that are legitimately interested and i'm sure you guys see this on your tours there are people who are just going to listen to what you have to say and and nod and walk off and hopefully you know treasure a couple of kernels from what you had to tell them and then there are people who are really into it and are really just excited to be there and to learn more or they've, they've brought their own information. And I think your experience on the boat is so 
unique and exciting because yes, we do walking tours and we can take them to the places where things happened, right? But it's hard to transport them back through time. But when you're on this boat, you feel like you are back in the 1800s. And when you're out in the harbor, you feel like you are back in time. So it makes that story more relevant and exciting because you're like in it. Out of curiosity, those cannons that you fire off, do we know if that would have been, um, is that pretty accurate to yeah. what would have they would have had on board? So there, there are two weapons that a privateer, well, there are two kinds of cannon that a privateer is going to use. Privateers generally wanted to have at least one big gun if they could manage it. And fame is not a big vessel. Um, so they had, what we know is they had a couple of six pounders. A six pounder cannon is about five feet long and fires a shot about the size of a tennis ball. And that gun on its heavy oak carriage weighs about a thousand pounds Oof. and takes about a gym sock worth of gunpowder to fire. So that's not something that we right. <laughs> want to take up space with. And it's not something I mean, that the Coast Guard is really interested in <laughs> having on the vessel for obvious reasons. But truthfully, that's not a privateer's weapon. It was nice to have a weapon like that because it had long range. If you had a six pounder, you could hit something that was a half a mile or maybe even a three quarters of a mile away. Wow. But when it comes to actually capturing a vessel, you don't want to damage that vessel because one of the things that made privateering legal as opposed to piracy, which it closely resembles, is that you are expected to bring the vessel back to a friendly port and go through a, a judicial process and prove that it was enemy property. It was an enemy ship, what was carrying an enemy cargo. And at that point, then you got to auction it off and that's how you made your money. Mm -hmm. But if you've got to sail that vessel back, you can't be in a cannon battle with it. Right. You know, I mean, fame was capturing vessels fairly close to home, you know, off of New Brunswick, off of Nova Scotia, off of Newfoundland. But Salem privateers were sailing off Brazil. They were sailing in the English Channel. Sometimes prize vessels had to travel back, you know, weeks or months to get to a place where they could be adjudicated so you could get your money. So you need um, them healthy. Right. You can't, you can't shoot them up. And so the smaller guns, like the ones we have, the rail-mounted swivel guns, that's the weapon of choice for a privateer. You're, you're going to load those up like shotguns. You're not using that. The bore on that cannon is maybe an inch and a quarter. Mm -hmm. So you could fire like a jawbreaker <laughs> or a... Um, you know, like a golf ball. Yeah. Uh, that's not how they're using those weapons. They are putting a lot of powder and a lot of what they called grape shot. It would look like little iron BBs. Oh my, so like a literal pint, shotgun. A pint of little iron BBs on top of a bunch of gunpowder. It's a shotgun. <laughs> it's exact. It's, and it's not going to be effective at 50 or 100 yards, right? And you got to get very close wow. to use a weapon like that, but it is going to sweep the deck. Anyone on that deck is going down. Oh my and that's, gosh. I know. It's pretty, yeah. And then if that hasn't worked, Step one is intimidation. You hope to intimidate them into surrendering. Pirates and privateers both love that. Capture a prize without damaging it. That's, that's, the, that's the gold standard <laughs> of privateering. But if that doesn't work, you hit them with the shotguns. And if that doesn't work, you're going to have to crash those vessels together and you're going to capture by boarding. So if you can think back to the old school pirate movies, uh -huh. black and white movie, mm -hmm. Errol Flynn, with the knife in his teeth and he's climbing up the rigging and guys are swinging over. If you get yourself onto the deck of the vessel and fight hand-to-hand -hand with the crew... You can capture the vessel without damaging the vessel, right? The crew is your enemy, not the ship, not the cargo. Those have to be preserved. So we're not firing those big cannons right. unless we absolutely have to. So no crazy huge battles. I mean, yes, maybe hand-to-hand -hand combat, but no sinking of ships necessarily. Most of what we as a culture know about piracy and privateering comes, unfortunately, from the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Oh, goodness. <laughs> or various versions of Treasure Island, you know, yeah. that we've watched over the years. Um and that is the Goonies. pretty fanciful <laughs> stuff. Um, yeah, privateering was, was and, privacy, and piracy were pretty down and dirty businesses. Yeah, and, but hey, uh, we're here to learn the real history behind <laughs> it. So out of curiosity, what happens to those, so say the fame goes out and captures a British ship, what happens to the British sailors on that captured ship? That's a great question. So part of the judicial process of proving what you captured is enemy stuff would involve enemies would involve <laughs> act producing enemies as witnesses okay oh. so if you've got a couple of people and you think that their testimony is going to help you you're going to bring them along you're going to keep those guys but large numbers of prisoners are a pain in the butt you got to guard them you yeah, got to feed them. them people blame you if stuff goes sideways it's not you know in fact this is a war when they still have prisoner exchanges Right. So the British have 100 of our guys in Halifax. We have 100 of their guys in Salem. We send ships in opposite directions and we go back to fighting each other. That's way more fun than the <laughs> guarding and the feeding of prisoners. So let's say the fam captures the vessel 
in sight of Nova Scotia, which is often the case, or in sight of Newfoundland, or you might take a couple of guys that you want as witnesses and tell the rest of them if, if they want, they can get in their ship's boat and beat it. And they're always going to take you up on that offer because uh-huh. they can see home. And the last thing they want is to be dragged back in chains to Salem and put mm-hmm. on a prison ship in the North River or put into the, um, the, the prison that they're still using. <laughs> Actually, I learned the location of the prisons on, uh, on Sarah's tour. But, um, you know, the, I guess the old jail, which we call the old jail, was actually built at the time of the War of 1812 in part to house all of these prisoners that are being brought into Salem and turned over the federal marshals who have nowhere to put them. Yep, yep, you know, yep. so they end up using old vessels like, you know, the friendship style vessels, old East Endymion, um, and just packing them full of prisoners. And the conditions on those boats are awful. And the conditions in that jail was pretty bad, too. Yeah, but now it's luxury condos. Man. So, you know, hey, if it was a heck of a restaurant at one uh, point. Yeah, several. Uh, and, and, the, and the bit bar. Yeah. Yep, yep. It's gone yeah. through several renditions. Yeah. I've met a couple of people recently that have claimed that place to be haunted. For sure. Do you, do you believe in hauntings at all? I do not. You do not. I am such a stick in the mud. That's all when right. When people say witches on board and I overhear them, <gasps> I'm liable to correct them and say innocent people accused of witchcraft. Thank well, you for good. that. Yes. Thank you. We still get those people that come here not even understanding that concept. But hopefully after taking a tour, yeah. they get it. And they, they learn a little extra too. Like you were saying, they don't know what they, they're interested in half the time. So when I start throwing out, you know, Revolutionary War history or Salem history or merchant history, everyone's always very attentive. And they're like, oh, what? And you're like, yeah. They're like, I had no idea. You're like, well, yeah, maybe if you sign up for something other than a, a ghost tour or a witch tour, you'd learn a little something. I think most of us do that. We we, we make sure they get a, a, a full palette of, of history, even if it's sometimes just in small doses. Because truly, I think this part of Salem's story is one of the most exciting. I would give anything to walk Salem streets during the Great Age of Sail mm. and see a bustling port city, all the ships. Hard pass. Maybe for like a day. That's like, something we could have done. You know, we've, we've invested a lot of resources. When I say we, I mean the Park Service has invested a lot of resources in friendship. And another, another route that they could have gone was to try and kind of create a miniature mystic seaport here. Um, oh, Mystic is, you know, yeah, that would have been nice. Mystic's wonderful. It is. Um, we, we kind of put all our eggs into the one basket of that one ship, but uh-huh. the other direction we could have gone was to create that seaport that Sarah's talking about. That yeah. would have been really cool and I've probably in the long run more sustainable. Yeah. The poor friendship sitting just over know. there. Oh, she's looking. They've got a rough. new superintendent. They've got a new captain. So I'm really hopeful that they're going to turn it around and you've, come back here down to the waterfront in a couple of years, the friendship's going to be sailing again. Oh, good, good, good. I was hoping you could shed some light on that. Is it, is it, is it staying here? Is it getting dry docked again? They are. The reason it's covered right now is because they're putting a new deck on. Okay. And in the process of putting the new deck on, I think they're also doing a lot of work on the transom. Okay. And that work is ongoing. And, you know, like everyone else, they're having difficulty getting qualified people to come in and do the work. So I, it's, it's taken a long time. And I think some people are justifiably frustrated. We'd all like to see her like rigged up in her glory, like she was, a f- you know, five six, years, years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it'll happen. You know, Soon the enough. Park Service—they have deep pockets, and like I said, new blood over there. Well, mm-hmm. that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's funny that when I took the, uh, the we don't have to take a licensing test anymore, but uh, when I took it, for when you took it, the question was uh, what what ship is docked? Yeah, I can't remember how they phrased it, but the answer was the friendship, right? And uh, me being bit of a shithead i was like i was like uh, i'm not sure how to answer number whatever like 45 and they're like well what ship i'm like there there is no ship because it was at oh. gloucester marine railways <laughs> sure, for almost three years Such yeah a smart ass but there's no ship to, i was like i know what you're asking me but you just want to be difficult there is no ship there like i'm sorry like rule number one of test taking give them the answer that they want <laughs> exactly so what inspired you to venture into this endeavor i was i was always passionate about sailing and history i mean as a as a little boy my mom would just like scoop up any book that she saw at the library with a picture of a ship on the cover and bring that home and i would devour it she would bring it from the children's section or the adult section didn't matter and um and might i ask where is home i was growing up at the time in california but i was born here in massachusetts my dad was a raytheon lifer and spent most of his I spent most of my life here in Massachusetts, but we did live in California for six golden years in the early 70s in <laughs> Southern California, wow. which I won't lie to you, is a great place to grow up. 
Ugh. So that's why I don't sound like I'm from here. You got the of best of both. We play the accent game a lot. <laughs> um, but I, I was always passionate about those things. And I had the opportunity in my late 30s to kind of put them together in a business. I had been, I had started a baseball magazine. We used to sell baseball magazines outside Fenway Park. And my company did that for 30 years. That was a very interesting business. Story for another time. But it wasn't a business that my family was involved in. And it was a business that was taking place downtown. And um, when I had the opportunity, I said, this, is, this, is, this would be a great opportunity, not just to start a new business and to indulge my passions, but to involve my family. Um, so you guys saw my wife earlier today mm-hmm. opening the ticket booth. And my kids have both worked on the boat. They're grown and gone now. But it's worked out really well. I'm really, this was, I think, one of the best things I've done in my life, building the fame and starting this business. Suckered them all in, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Melissa. Wow. So what, what What was the, I don't know. Like, how did you choose the fame? Constant. Like, you're like, I'm well, just going to do harbor tours and just kick it with a with a replica of an 18th century or 1800s uh, ship. Like, where did that, I mean, it must have come from somewhere. Did you have a dream? We were living in Brookline because we wanted to be near Fenway Park. Okay. Uh, and we decided we we're going to have a second child. We needed more space. So the question was, do we stay in Brookline? Very expensive. Or do we move to the North Shore or the South Shore? Mm-hmm. Bonus of, of doing that would be that we could do some sailing. Um, so we ended up, we looked on the North Shore, we looked on the South Shore. We ended up moving to Essex of all places. And there I am like a half a mile from Harold's Boatyard. And uh, we did buy a little fiberglass sailboat which we kept uh in beverly every time i drove down to get on the boat we had to drive by the welcome to beverly sign which has a picture of the schooner hannah on it and the little granite marker that says washington's naval base 1775 and i had grown up in massachusetts and was a passionate historian and i had never heard that story and i'm 35 36 at this point and it dawned on me that wow you know someone should build a replica of this boat the hannah and, you know, it could revitalize the Beverly waterfront, which not much was going on at that point. This is, you know, 20 years ago. Right. And I found out that, yeah, you know, that was not an original idea of mine. People <laughs> had been trying to get a, a replica of Hannah built for a long time. Um, but they, apart from getting some plans made and having a cool logo and having a bake sale every year, they weren't really making a lot of progress. So I built this business plan around building a replica of the Hannah and sailing it out of Beverly and in the process, everyone should do this, by the way. If you're listening and you're, <laughs> you're thinking of starting a business, create a business plan because it will make you look at the hard realities of what you want to do. Apart from living the dream, you also have to live the reality and pay the bills. And in constructing the business plan for the Hannah, I realized Beverly can't support this vessel. It's not going to work. We're going to end up having a bake sale every year for 30 years, just mm-hmm. like these guys did. They, they, they were onto something. They were onto something, <laughs> uh, inadvertently. And... Um, but there's, right across the river, there's Salem. There's, there's the town where this kind of business plan could work. And at that mm-hmm. point, I'd fallen in love with the business plan. Yes, we're going to build a replica of the historic vessel, and we're going to take people sailing, and we're going to have a, a camp. My, my kids were small. We're going to have a summer camp for kids. <laughs> and uh, this is going to be, this is exactly what I want to do. And I really threw myself into it. But at the same time, realized, you know, Beverly wasn't the place. Salem wasn't the place. So I switched gears. And I started kind of, instead of building a historic replica, shopped on the open market, looking for a schooner that I could buy anywhere in the country, do some work on, bring to Salem and start my business. Uh, But Harold Burnham, who had designed a a Hannah for me, kept calling me up and saying, so Mike, uh, sounds like you're not interested in a historic replica. I'm like, well, I am interested in a historic replica, but that's going to take a lot of time and cost a lot of money. And I don't know what what we would build. I mean, Salem is famous for these friendship style East Indian vessels. Mm -hmm. And Harold at that point had lucked onto this book called Shipbuilders of Essex by Dana Story, who was still alive, by the way, when we launched the fame. And the Shipbuilders of Essex had the story of this schooner fame, which supposedly was a, a North Shore built tobacco boat that had gone out with 25 unemployed Salem Sea captains at the beginning of the war and had captured the first prizes of the War of 1812. And Harold said, what about this? I'm like, that sounds pretty good. I like that story. Um, and in Dana's book, there was a bunch of information that turned out not to be correct. But when I went back to the original uh, documents and started to find out more about the fame, we found that it was it was even a better story than we had thought it was. Oh, that's, that's uh, Because the best. it was a more distinctive boat. I mean, the fame, as I'm sure you guys have noticed, you don't need to be a sailor to notice her very distinctive upswept stern, uh-huh. which is called a pink stern. And the fact that she was 
was a Chebacco boat that she was built right here on, on the North Shore. Not in Essex, as it turns out, which Dana Story had thought, but in Anasquam. Um, and, um, and the story was, was a great story. It was in 1812. Everyone hears talk about the revolution. We'll talk about the War of 1812. And um, it, it just, it, the size of the vessel was going to work for, you know, not to get into a lot of details about mm-hmm. Coast Guard regulation, but this is, we can get 49 pastors on this boat and we could build this boat a lot bigger and not get any more people, right? Because of the way the Coast Guard regulations were. It's like once you so hit 50. It was just in the sweet spot of size, yeah. right? Uh, and for this, what they call a subchapter T vessel. Um, it just worked on so many different levels. And then we found five original logbooks in the Peabody Essex Museum's collection on microfilm because the originals are in Waltham. And said, um, yeah, this is, we, we got to go forward with this. This, is, this is the awesome. boat. We're going to build this boat. And we, I wrote Harold a check in, I think it was February of 2002. And he started coming up with designs and looking for wood because, you know, you can't go to Lowe's and buy a, bunch <laughs> of a, sta- a stack of two by fours right. and build a boat like this. Yeah. You've got to get oak trees out of the woods and then mill them the way you want them. Um, and that process took about seven months. And then we actually started construction in September of 2002. So about seven months of that phase, then about nine months of actual construction. And then we're launching the boat in June. And by late July, we're carrying pastures from this dock. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a long journey that I just summed up in one minute. Well, time. But, a, but a very quick turnaround at the end, considering. The end is always nuts because yeah. you have many different projects going on. And that's when the Coast Guard really starts to show up and, and, you know, walk around the boat and say, well, what about this? What about this? What about that? You need this. And, uh, you know, we're trying to get the wiring up to standard. Oh, my gosh. And um, unfortunately, one of the guys who'd been working on the boat, our systems guy, it became obvious at that point that he had terminal cancer and he was dying and he disappeared from the job which was really hard because it it threw the rest of that work on people who weren't prepared to do it Mm -hmm. at a time right in the middle of the summer when like every day is ticking off and I've got no money in the bank (laughs) and we really need to be sailing. Um, That was a very stressful time, the summer of 2003, but we did get the boat up and running in July. And we learned a lot that first first year and came back the next year and had a full season and been running ever since. This is our 21st season in Salem from this dock with the same owners and with some of the same crew. Do you remember your first sail? Do I remember my first sail with uh, passengers? I, yeah. We have some pictures of it, and I, I I tend to focus on the stuff that's not finished, you know. Of course. Um, but yeah, it was you know it was a, it was a it was a, a warm, dry summer, and we had, you know, we we were just learning along with the passengers, and I think they responded to that because we were just so like excited and passionate about sailing the boat, running around, you know, tweaking. Uh, the sheets and the yeah. feeds and coming up with better ways to do things. And uh, how, how different is it than a modern ship? The fame is this boat was built f- to be Coast Guard certified. Okay. If we had built the original fame with what Harold Burnham knew or guessed about the original fame, the Coast Guard would have said, oh, this is awesome. You can have six passengers. <laughs> <laughs> because when the Coast Guard won't touch a boat with a 10-foot pole, that's what they give you, six passengers. It's called an uninspected passenger vessel. Okay. <laughs> you have to have a captain's license to run a vessel like that, but the Coast Guard is not involved in the certification or guaranteeing the safety of that vessel. Okay. At this level, the Coast Guard has a phone book full of regulations that you have to follow. Is Are those... Sorry to interrupt. Are those different for a historical replica or are they no, standard? No, they don't cut for... you any slack for building a historic replica. Okay. They say, that's nice, but we could care less and it needs to, boom, here's the book okay. of regulations. And the book of regulations has been built for, uh, you know, a fleet that's mostly steel or aluminum or fiberglass. So this boat is a compromise between what Harold thought the original fame would have looked like, what the Coast Guard wants certified vessels to be, and what Harold thought was going to be workable and manageable and profitable for me as a business. I mean, Harold is not just a guy who designs boats. He designs the boats, he builds the boats, and he sails his own boats, and he has a lot of experience on the water. And um, so sometimes Harold and I would come into conflict about stuff. He'd say, I'm going to do this. And I'd be like, that's not what I want. And Harold would say, well, (laughs) you hired me to build the boat, and you can take my advice or not take my advice. I always end up taking Harold's advice, and he was always right. (laughs) Harold's always right. Harold is always right. Shout out to Harold. (laughs) What did, what was the biggest, like the Coast Guard comes in and you were like, whoops. These hatches right here, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see these on the podcast, but we've recently been allowed for the first time to make uh, what are called ventilation ports. This is not a hatch. It's a ventilation port. Um, this is huge for a wooden boat to have uh, air circulating around the inside of the boat. But originally, the Coast Guard 
we're going to get into the weeds here. I'm going to try and make this story really tight. But <laughs> when the fan was designed in 2003, there were a whole bunch of new rules about how to build boats like that. And so the rules had never been interpreted in a practical sense. No one had actually built a boat to these rules. One of the rules said that the, the boat needed to be subdivided, which uh -huh. is into watertight compartments. And our Coast Guard inspector took that to mean watertight means no openings. And Harold said, oh, come on, guys, you got to give us some ventilation ports so we can get air moving around the boat. And the Coast Guard said, nope, nope, that's not what I'm seeing here. That's not how I read the regulations. So we ended up with this boat that was very narrowly subdivided, um, very safe, obviously, but no air circulation. Um, and it wasn't until Harold built another boat uh, eight years later for himself, the Ardell, which sails out of Gloucester, that he was able to make the Coast Guard inspectors understand the value of, of this, of these mm -hmm. ports. So that was that was big. Um, and it's, it hugely improves the livability of the boat and uh, the longevity of the boat because a lot more air can circulate through it. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that, the, you know, we would spar with the Coast Guard over, you know, their interpretation of regulations for what's basically a one-off boat that's never been built and probably will never be built again. She's special. She is special. There is no other boat like the fame. The, cl the, the closest boats would be the Ardell that Harold built for himself, which mm -hmm. is basically what this boat would have looked like in the next generation. So so, made, and it's his own. Is he like just sailing it around by himself? No, he has. Oh, he takes people out. Okay, yeah, okay. I wasn't sure if it made it sound like he's just you know he's just out there on his own little <laughs> personal historic replica. Well, he you know he'll, awesome. he'll take off early in the fall and sail up to Maine and you know. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, he and his partner will sail around and yeah. Uh, How many people do you need to man this? Yeah, to man the fame. Uh, you really, a captain, our certification from the Coast Guard allows us to run the boat with a captain and a deckhand. Okay. And the only qualifications for deckhand is that you can pee in a cup and pass. <laughs> we don't run the boat that way. I, that I, would not be safe or wise, no. nor would you be able to cater to your passengers. I mean, we like to, you know, we want to talk to the people who come on board and we want to serve them drinks and we want to operate the boat safely. So we operate the boat with two deckhands and a captain, which is fine. If they know what they're doing. Two people can run this boat. Three people is better, and that's all you need. So when this boat's going out as a privateer and they have 25 guys on board, there's a lot of idle hands. Yeah, I was going to say, because I mean, what are you, you're just sitting down here cleaning your musket, right? Waiting, <laughs> waiting <laughs> Sharpening the cutlass. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Parrots everywhere. Peg legs rolling around on deck. <laughs> and the I eyes from well. Philomena Crunk. Oh. <laughs> and there oh. we are romanticizing it again. So do you live right in Salem? I do live right in Salem, right? Ward 2. And that opportunity, uh, living in Salem, gave me the opportunity to serve on the Salem Port Authority, which I just finished up before your stint on the Port Authority. And we are remaking the Port of Salem, as everybody saw this week. When yeah, that thing is. Came. What do you think of that thing? Um, <laughs> you know, having studied it for four years, uh -huh. and been in all the meetings and all the briefings, I intellectually understood what it was. But to actually see it and to see how big it is in real life and how it works, the way the, the legs go down and the hull goes up, I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing piece of technology. And that's the future for the Port of Salem. And I realize not everybody's excited about that, um, but I personally think it's a great thing. Yeah, and for our listeners who don't know, um, it has to do with the wind turbines, right? That's why that yes. ship, what is it called? It's this, that vessel was called the Sea Installer. That's a sea Danish inst flag vessel that basically plants wind turbines in wind farms offshore. It's for those, just type Huge. in Salem whatever that is, and, and pictures will come up because pictures have been circulating because it's huge. Like, it's taller than the smokestacks. It's insane. Yes. Yeah, I think yeah. it's the tallest thing in, in Salem, Salem right yeah. now. It yeah. would be when her when the legs are up, it is. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed it at one point, for demonstration purposes, they dropped the legs down and lifted the hull up. No, I missed that. They lifted that. the hull right out of the water. That's so weird. Stilt. The boat was uh, suspended above say, the Someone must have gotten a picture of that. Was that at the, the meeting the other day when they were all down there? Right. So we're a long way from, from these things actually happening in Salem. But they wanted to bring the vessel into town. Um, they were going to do some inspections. Um, basic dog and pony show and speechifying, which, which is great. Uh, a lot of people worked very hard to make this happen. And yeah. they, they deserve their day in the sun. They deserve credit for all the hard work. Um, you know, the, the, our mayor came back and, uh, and Seth, who had been the... Yeah. The, yeah. It's great. Great stuff. Um, probably off topic for this podcast, but yeah. this is the future of the Port of Salem. They're going to take all that, that land that's left over from the replacement of the old coal burning plant by the natural gas plant, yep. and that's going to be a, a wind turbine assembly area. They're just going to make a, a very big 40-acre flat cement deck to build these things. And when they are building them, when they're standing these turbines up, they're going to be taller than the power plant. 
they will be the tallest thing in Salem. And periodically, vessels like the sea installer will come in, take a finished one, and bring it out to the wind farm and plant it. This is so interesting. Ugh. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm just not a tech person the, in this the, way. The, the sight line, the, the vision, like, you got all that in your backyard, you know, whatever. Sure. I, I see how it annoys people. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Like, the only thing that sort of I need to wrap my brain around is, is I don't like driving into say you're like I have to get there, there's no like major highway or anything so I think that's my only like purse I'm like man it's gotta suck for these truck drivers having to maneuver through Salem like or get through equipment Beverly. into yeah and yeah. then down on on onto the harbor that, that's the only ma- major thing but I think it's really really neat for Salem's history and for the harbor like the uses that it's gone through and what it's being used for now. And you know, what the future holds, it's, it's pretty cool. The harbor was the center of Salem's life yeah. for a couple hundred years. And it hasn't been for a couple hundred years. And now it's going to be for the next generation, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, your point about the trucks is absolutely true. I mean, the problem that Salem has as a port is that the, the inward leading infrastructure, you know, roads and railroads just doesn't exist. Yeah. So what they're planning to do with these giant components that they're going to make the wind turbines, and most of those are going to come by sea. They're going to come by I had a feeling barge. that was the case. Okay. So the barges will come into the deep water berth. They'll unload. The components will be assembled into wind turbines, and then the finished wind turbines will go out by sea. Um, certainly there will be traffic involved. Yeah. Uh, but not to the extent. They're not going to try and go down Bridge Street or Webb Street <laughs> with a 300-foot-long wind turbine. You're not going to see that. I'm more concerned about Shetland Park and the 1,000 units that they want to put here because 1,000 or 1,500 more cars trying to get access to that intersection at Derby and Congress. No, that's not going to happen. Salem traffic forever. Yeah. I, when they first proposed that, there's no way that's ever going to happen. Um, yeah. I'm knocking on wood. But I, and I can't remember, and I think I might have talked about this on the podcast before. I did, and I can't remember the, the figures. I did some quick math, and I was like, if the 1,000 units, that's, you know, X thousand families. And if you do the average, you know. You'd just, have to put up a whole nother elementary school it, it's, it's another to accommodate. 50 yeah, solid stall can't accommodate those kids. It's another 50 kids per grade that you have. And you're like, you, there's not a facility in Salem that can hold. You can't cram another 50 kids per grade in anywhere. Um, not to mention the cars, the traffic. And then I was like, well, how? And I think like the X, a car is like eight feet long or 10 feet long and times a thousand is like another four miles of traffic or whatever the, the, the math came out to. And I was like, <laughs> we're done. Thanks yeah. for playing. Salem's definitely at max capacity. I would say, especially in October, you have the luxury of escaping a bit of the chaos and venturing out into the Harbor for your October excursions. Although that's very true. I mean, sometimes there are days in Salem in October, I'll see pictures that people post of what Essex street looks like. And you do not see that on the waterfront. Nope. Those people are very tightly concentrated in the downtown area and they don't come down here. And And to Jeff's point earlier, when they do, sometimes they see the water and say, Oh, what lake is this? Oh I, my, no, no. <laughs> they don't even realize that Salem is a port or that oh that maritime God. history even exists. It's, it's shocking. And, uh, so I, I don't talk about it actually on my witch trials tour. Maybe I should. Um, but I talk about a little bit on, on my night tour, which is dark history. So a little privateering, a little stuff. And I get the bearing point and I was like, Oh, cause you know, the waterfront. And they're like, I was like, okay, see that big white building that is literally on Salem Harbor. You could be down in the water in eight minutes, less. I ask everyone at some point, usually at the beginning of the tour, like, who's been to the harbor? Who's seen it? And it's usually only a hand or two. I'm like, guys, don't leave Salem without checking out our harbor, even if you drive to it. It's like literally three minutes drive. They don't understand that the Charter Street barrel ground was overlooking the water. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's what I talk that, about. That Derby Street was on the water. That Front Street is called Front Street because it the was water on the water. Front. Yeah, yeah, there was water all the way to Riley Plaza. Yeah. Um, uh, a friend of mine named VJ Joyce, who's over at the Daniels yeah, house, yeah, yeah. gave a tour specifically about that, about the change in, in Salem's waterline. Kind of very neatly summed up by the fountain, by the way, at Museum Place. You mm-hmm. know, it shows the old Salem waterfront and the new Salem waterfront. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was absolutely fascinating. So, uh, obviously, you don't get to escape all of the October craziness because I'm sure a lot of tourists come on the fame when they're visiting. Do you have any wild tourist stories for us today? Throw too them many, on the bus. Too many, too over, many? The, over 20 years. But I, I will say that the real whack jobs that come to Salem in the fall, uh-huh. uh, I'm sure you guys have noticed that the, the 
demographics of our visitors change dramatically from the summertime when the kids are out of school and you uh-huh. got a lot of families to the fall when people are way more focused on the witchcraft stuff and not always necessarily in a positive historical way. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um, the real, the real, the real nut jobs that come to Salem tend not to come on the fame. It's just not their thing, which is awesome. So you, you kind of weed them out with the, they're not, that's not their, this is not their thing. Yeah. That's not to say that we don't occasionally, I'm standing at the side of the boat and greeting guests as they come on board and a tall gentleman dressed all in black will come on board. And you don't know, is this someone who thought this will be fun? I'll go to Salem dressed all in black and walk around and look scary. Or this guy really believes he's a warlock. You never know. And then you got to like make conversation with the warlock for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> About the war of 1812. About the war of 1812. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if there are warlocks now, there were warlocks on the war yeah, of Yeah, I'd be like, hey. Sure, yeah. What do I, I know very little about warlocks and it's probably best that we keep it that way. That's fair. So, so n- no, no, you're not going to throw anyone under the, under the bus with a, with a good horrific Taurus story. I would have to break them down into like categories. Oh my gosh. Um, but I, I will say, just cause I was thinking about it earlier today, we, this was about 15 years ago. We had a wedding. We were, we were chartered for a wedding. They didn't want to go sailing. They just wanted to use the boat as a venue. And for whatever reason, we did it over at the park service. I don't even know why. We were tied up at Central Wharf. And we, you know, we weren't sailing. So we just hung up every flag that we had and tried to make the boat look beautiful. And then we awaited the guests. And the guests came down, and they were all in motley. They were all dressed like like jokers and harlequins. And this was... Interesting. 15 years ago, this was unusual. Yeah. And uh, it was a, a wedding of a local woman who was a tattoo artist beautiful woman, completely covered with ink at a time when this was 15 years ago. I mean, everyone now has the sleeve. 15 years ago, you just didn't see it. It was barely even allowed to get tattooed in this state 15 years ago. And I just remember that the crew person who was on duty with me, we were just handing these people over onto the boat and our jaws were just on the floor. Just it would, every costume and every, uh, every sleeve was more outrageous than the other. And we were just, that was like a real inauguration for us. Like, welcome to Salem, Mike. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's more of this to come. Yep. Yep. So now, you know, no one would blink at an event like that. But 15 years ago, we were like, holy cow. Yeah. There are a lot of people that come to Salem and they are, they're interested in a completely different set of things than what we're interested in, which is fine. You know, if we run this boat and we get one tenth of 1% of the people that come to Salem, we're doing fine. Yeah, and you're getting this is a very small segment of Salem's tourism, Mm -hmm. our tours on the water, us and the Mahi and the other people who are out in the water. And I feel like you're getting the good people. I, well, yeah, I would say (laughs) that, of course, because there are people who are like me. They're interested in the things that I'm interested in. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with people who are interested in witches and warlocks or believe they're witches and warlocks. I've got no problem with that. Those people tend not to show up on the waterfront. They tend not to come sailing with us. Or... Or you don't even notice because they look like they, they don't dress They long. look like normal people. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's plenty of people I know who, you know, sure, they're, 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 they're witches or whatnot. And you're like, some of them, you can tell. Some of them, you're like, oh, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, I, I'm sure you know we ask all our guests this, what is your favorite thing about this city, about Salem? Having run a business here for 20 years, I've only lived here now for seven. Moving to Salem changed my whole perspective on the town it really did in a, in a positive way i mean we had been living in the suburbs and sending our kids to one of the big regional high schools mm-hmm. and it was the it's all about being there for their education and as soon as that was over as soon as literally a week after my son graduated from high school we moved to salem um and we really love it and i think that there are a lot of things to love about salem but i think what i love about it is the way that salem lives in the past i've spent my whole career in 19th century technologies like baseball and print publications Mm -hmm. and now schooners. And I love the way I've spent a lot of my life living in the 18th century and 19th century, like down at the archives in Waltham, looking at log books of the fame. And I've written two books about privateering and the history of the war of 1812 and Salem, Salem lives in the past too, you know, but not completely, you know, Salem lives in a lot of different eras all at the same time. So the other day I took a picture of us sailing past the sea installer, you know, and uh, I think the caption was something like, you know, old tech meets high tech in Salem. That's what Salem's like to me. You know, the fact that 
this is a town that lives a lot of its life in 6092, and yet we have a podcast about it. <laughs> if I went back to 6092 and whipped out my iPhone and played your podcast for Judge Hathorne, I would be hanged the next day. They might not wait over. They might hang me right there. Right there. there. Uh, you know? It's, it's the juxtaposition of past and present that makes Salem really cool, that you can be walking by the houses with the placards, and then you can go into a coffee shop and get online and, you know, work from that coffee shop, uh, which was formerly underwater. Yeah. <laughs> on Flint Street. It's, be, um, it's about being surrounded by the history. Yeah. We're surrounded by history. And every morning I get up and I have an eight-minute walk to work and I walk through the park service and I walk past the houses of the ship captains that came before me. Um, not to put myself at their level, but it's really cool. These are the guys that I talk about. These are the guys that I've read about. These are the guys who I've studied. And I walk by their their front door on my way to work every morning and through the park service and past the customs house and onto the dock. I feel and that's really cool. You can't get that way. experience in a lot of places. There, there's not, yeah. I feel the exact same way. It does. That's not. That's very unique Salem experience. Remember the old movie they used to show at the visitor center? Maybe they still show it where past is present. That's a great tagline for Salem, where past is present. If you, oh, here's a fun question. If you could meet any of these old, say you could go back in time <laughs> and meet any of these old sea captains, do you have a favorite one? One. Di- dinner wow. uh, dinner with a ship captain. Who is it? So many really interesting guys. You know, I mean, you know, the guys that, that you've heard of, like like Elias Haskett Derby, would be fascinating to talk to, but I, I, I would have to choose one of the fame guys. Of course. Um, probably one of the guys who survived the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you looked at our coolers, actually, the guy who built our coolers, one of our crew members built our coolers. He's a professional furniture maker. He teaches professional furniture making classes. He's really good. He made these two coolers for us. He said, Mike, I want to carve something on these coolers. I just, I want to do some carving. I want yeah. to carve uh, some, old, yeah, of course. some old school characters, yeah. you yeah. know? And I, he said, what should I put on? I'm like, well, why don't you put... Uh, 1812. And he's like, that's not enough. I want letters. So we actually put W. Webb and J. Beckett. And W. Webb, William Webb was the captain of the fame on her first privateering voyage. And he was the oldest of the 25 captains that pooled their resources and went out on the first voyage of the fame as a privateer. He's a guy that I would choose. But Beckett, who was his lieutenant, a much younger man, uh, and unfortunately died in 1816 and never made old bones like William Webb, who's buried in Howard Street, Either one of those guys. Beckett was the guy who put it all together. Webb was just the guy who got to be captain of all the captains because he was the oldest and the most experienced. Uh-huh. But I would probably have to go with one of those guys. I'd want like a blow-by-blow blow of the first <laughs> yeah. voyage of the fame as a privateer, capturing the first prizes of the War of 1812. I mean, we've got these newspaper articles, but they don't tell the full story. You don't get to hear it from them. Uh, yeah, I, that would be that'd be pretty amazing. Oh, if only. One Did, day we'll invent a time machine. <laughs> Maybe they will. We already have. Uh, do, do they know records of their uh, journals or things on those lines? Well, Fame went out on 12 voyages as a privateer. We have five of the logbooks. So okay. Seven logbooks that we don't have. And the only information we have about those cruises tends to come from the Salem newspapers, which would report the arrival of, of prizes, uh, prizes taken, prizes, rumors of prizes. Oh. oh, yeah, there was a whole stock market in Salem of people buying and selling shares in privateers based on rumors that would come in oh my, from so overseas. We've talked about like how some captains would invest in yeah. ships, and I never really understood I'm using invest in air quotes now why that right, is. There's a lottery ticket had, is what it was. Derby had, what, nine ships and, and invested in 12 others or something? I can't remember. It, so if 25 guys had invested in a privateer, they might all get a ticket that says this is worth 125th of whatever prizes the fame brings in. Mm-hmm. But let's say a week later, the boat's gone out. You need some ready cash. And you say, hey, I'm going to sell my 125th ticket or maybe half. I'm going to sell a 150th ticket to Bob the Grocer to cover what I owe him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a, a thriving market in these little pieces of paper that could be absolutely worthless or phenomenally valuable, and nobody knew. And then, of course, people are people, and we got into the business of spreading rumors. Oh, I hear the fame has taken a valuable prize. Well, that little piece of paper just went up in value. And the, um, you know, the reverends in their pulpits and the ministers in their pulpits are like, this is wrong. Wow. <laughs> you, guys, you guys need to stop this. <laughs> was there any... It was a very modern time in many ways. Was there any... Um... Rampant speculation in privateering futures in Salem in the War of 1812. And in the revolution. Just like the stock market. Was there any playing the the market? Like, was there anyone who would, God, what what would you do? You'd have to send someone, right? 
have I feel a like plant. spreading the rumors. Right, but all of a sudden you spread the rumors that like, oh man, I heard the fame captured this one thing where in which they had an unsuccessful run and then everyone back in port when they hear that rumor then sells all those tickets at a high cost and when the fame comes in, you know. I'm sure that happened. That stuff was absolutely going on yeah. and that's yeah. exactly what the ministers were railing against. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, human nature. I love it. Can you tell us your... Um, might be a hard question. Favorite fact about the fame, like favorite thing about this ship, about the story. I think what I love about the boat is that it is, its story is unique in a lot of ways. Um, there were 43 privateers that sailed out of Salem during the war and fame stands out for a number of reasons. Number one, because she was a locally built boat, has this very unique local construction. I mean, this kind of boat is what they call a Chebacco boat. Chebacco was the old name for Essex. When it was an Ip- it was a parish of Ipswich, oh. and um, it was always a boat building center. And these boats that were thought to have originated in Essex, the style of boat, uh, you know, so nothing could be more local. And the fact that we were able to have a guy like Harold Burnham, who's an eleventh generation shipwright, whose great great grandfathers were building boats like this, is really cool. You know that the 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 planets align for the building of the fame, and the the launching of this business in some amazing ways. And I think we ended up with a really cool boat that's really distinctive, that has a great story, that we've got all this a great original documentation, but plenty of gaps. You know, if I want to spend a winter at the PRO in London, I'm sure I could find out more. If I could stomp around Nova Scotia and knock on doors, you know, in uh-huh. southwest Nova Scotia, I might find out what happened to the original fame. There's, there's mystery there, and yet there's a lot of information. And the people love it. You People are. do love it. It's it's and it's also we're offering an opportunity that is, uh, yeah. I mean, how many how many walking tours are there now? Oh my gosh, a lot, too many, a lot. <laughs> so, and there are only a few different ways to get out on the water. Yeah. So we feel like we are offering something that's a little less done in Salem, uh, oh, a little bit more unique. And I think, yeah, Salem isn't Salem unless we figure out a way to incorporate the maritime history. Yeah. You know, I, I realize that that's not why people come here. That was something that I didn't understand when I launched the business. I was looking at places like Newport and Annapolis and Gloucester, you know, where people come for the, the tales of the sea. They where there are like history. sometimes harbors full of tall ships and you're like, oh, look at all these replica or sometimes original tall ships. And you're like, and half them go out on, on whatever. We don't have that here. No, we don't have that here. Uh, and that's not why people come to Salem. Yeah. So what I didn't realize, I think when we launched the business was there was a redirect involved. You need to take the people who came for witches and sell them a boat trip. And it's, it's hard. It took us a, a dozen years of, of working very hard at the marketing aspect to get this business like really up and running. Well, I'm glad that you didn't stop. I was going to say, <laughs> personally, it's like my top, it's in my top three favorite things to do in this town. Anytime someone comes to visit, I bring them on the fame. My dad, once he moved here, because he moved here back in 2010, and one of the first summers we came out to visit, he's like, we're going on a boat. And, oh, gosh, this is so embarrassing. This is when Sperry's were in, you know, like the Sperry, like the boat shoes. And so we all showed up with these on and thinking like, oh, you know, you want non-slip shoes and we're going on a boat. And I want to say it might have been you, but it could have been another captain asked like, oh, so you guys sailors? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, we just bought so these just shoes to look cool. because they're trendy. <laughs> I am going to start a blog that is just pictures of the shoes that people wear on board the fame. Oh my gosh. It would be outrageous. Yeah, I'm sure you get people that have no, they did not think ahead whatsoever. I bet like a fair amount of like heels and like all sorts <laughs> of <other>. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys see it too. Oh, yeah. But if you're walking down Essex Street, it's one thing. And when you're getting on a boat with those shoes, it's another entirely. I mean, they've got to make it down that ramp that you guys just came Walking on yeah. cobblestones isn't that much different than. That's true. <laughs> hey, That's but true. you don't have water on both sides. Yeah, so if you take yeah. a tumble, you're going in. I'm just always staggered. <laughs> we do have, uh, we've got some private events later today, but up for a private event, you know, if people think they're gone, I'm going to a birthday party, I'm going to an anniversary party, I'm going to dress up. Yeah. And the women want to wear certain shoes and they haven't thought about the fact that the anniversary party, the birthday party, rehearsal dinner, whatever it is, is on a boat that's going to be moving. And they don't look out the window and say, oh, gee, the leaves are really moving around today. Maybe <laughs> that doesn't Im- that doesn't impact their their footwear choice, and then they already show up on the boat and they're not happy. So that's definitely something that we're on our guests about all the time. Is you know wear wear comfortable shoes, wear sensible shoes. You'll be a lot happier. Be yeah. smart about it. Yeah, 
ever ever had anyone go overboard? Uh, <laughs> the the number of people that have fallen off the fame in twenty years is a nice round number <gasps> zero. Yay! Congratulations. Uh, that will I'm sure well that will not last forever. <laughs> Someone will go in eventually. Uh-huh. But the way the boat is designed, it's quite difficult to fall overboard unless you're climbing on stuff. And okay, you know that's that's the safety talk, which you know Sarah's heard a couple times. Don't climb on stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we want people to get up and move around the boat. I mean, we really. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why we get the great reviews that we do is that the kids have the opportunity to raise the sails or come back and check out the tiller. They don't have to sit there with their hands in their lap or they can help me load the cannon. Yeah. Um, and they love that stuff. You know, so the hands-on components are exciting. I always tell people, it's like a walking tour with cannons and rum and gunpowder, you know? And the ocean. And the ocean. Oh, I love it so yeah, much. We're going to turn off the engine and listen to the, you know, the, the water running down the side of the hull and we're going to listen to the blocks creaking and... Oh. So a couple last uh, questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, who is your favorite witch or wizard? I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> it's not, not from eighteen twenty. I know, this is right. totally... <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because I'm a middle-aged guy now, I've got to give a shout-out to Angela Lansbury's character in the early 70s movie, probably before your time, guys, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. It's about a... A woman who's taking a correspondence course in witchcraft because she wants to help the British win the war. Oh, my gosh. And some children are sent to her from London during the Blitz to live with her. She doesn't want them around. And she's trying to hide the fact that she is studying witchcraft. And then the Brit- the Germans actually land, and they're, they're raiding that part of, of Britain. And she uses her powers to reanimate a local historical museum, which is full of arms and armor, to drive the Germans off. Oh. And it's one of the first feature films oh that, that combines animation with live action. This is like 19, early 70s, 71, 72. I'm so but good yeah, at look this at, If you've never list. seen it, look it up. Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I mean, Bedknobs that, and Broomsticks. That's, that's Angela Lansbury. Hilarious. <laughs> that actually sounds right up our alleys. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> I, think, I think I saw it, I don't probably 30 odd years ago. Um, I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. So yeah, that's... I was seven or eight when it came out. Yeah. And I thought it was magical. I, mean, I yeah. still remember the like the reanimated arms and armor driving the Germans into the sea. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's great stuff! And uh, favorite place to get coffee? You I do... am not a coffee drinker. Oh, Ooh. tea. Um, well, I drink tea at home. Okay, <laughs> but I really enjoyed the um, the proliferation of, of tea shops because now I can walk in and get like all different kinds of tea. Yes. And uh, last time I saw VJ Joyce, just to shout out to VJ a second time, I was down at the Daniels house where they actually have, um, you know, co- uh, not co- well, they might have coffee too, but they also have tea assortments that, you know, harken back to the kind of tea that would have been served in Salem, you know, in the 1600s and the 1700s. So I've tried that and it's horrible, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I learned something. Which yeah. Is, yeah, that's the important thing. I, I, I tried something and I learned something, and I realized, <laughs> I learned that I did not like the tea that they served in 1692. But so you you mentioned uh, a couple things. Uh, you know, if, if anyone's uh, starting a business, do a business plan. Uh, other other than that, do you have any sort of superseding advice for for people? It can be Salem, can be business, can be personal, can be life, just general life advice. <sighs> Getting old sucks. (laughs) Don't compound it by having regrets. So, you know, chase your dreams. Do what you love doing. Take chances. Don't be afraid to fail. Getting old sucks. (laughs) Getting old sucks is the the, the headline. Yeah, I very much appreciate that. Don't get get old. That's no fun. I'm watching my mother get old as we speak, and it's, uh, it's difficult. And you, you just don't want to get to that point in your life and realize that you didn't do the you things didn't do that, you, thing. that you wanted to do, that you dreamed of doing, or that you thought you could do. Try all those things. Do them. Take the chance. Yeah. It's, it's okay if you're bad at those things or it doesn't work out. Try it. Don't regret it. It's good. I like that. I love that. <laughs> from, from Captain Mike on the fame. It's... This is this. I'm just. We're just sitting here. I could just like sit here. All I know. Time. I could bask yeah. in this moment. This <laughs> and is. We're pro- hearing things creaking. You know. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. very, uh, very eighteen twelve feel on board. Yeah. This could have worked out poorly. Uh, there's there was no guarantee that this business plan would succeed. But I think even if it had failed, I wouldn't look back on it and say, "Wow, that was the worst thing I mm-hmm. ever did." I still would have had the experience of meeting Harold, and meeting the crew of people who built the boat, and sailing with all the people that we've sailed with. You know, over twenty one years, we've got kids who came up through our camp program mm. and went to 
Maine Maritime or Mass Maritime and became merchant mariners. Uh, we've got kids who are making that decision now, like, wow, you know, this is this is something that interests me. This is something that I want to do. So you also do run a, a summer camp or is that? We did till COVID, yeah. COVID, okay. COVID kind of killed that one off. Also the fact that, number one, I'm getting older, and number two, my kids themselves are gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, for 16, 17, 18 years, we had a summer camp, a week-long summer camp on board, day camp. Yeah. Uh, the kids didn't sleep on board. <laughs> We did have one sleepover program. That was fun. We sailed down to Boston with like a, a group of our core campers, like our hardcore uh-huh. drunk the Kool-Aid campers. Um, the weather was wretched. We still had a good time, but the weather was wretched. And uh, we never did that again. That's, that's just not a profitable use of the fan. <laughs> eight kids on board for a weekend when you could be taking people for sailing. Uh, yeah, but that, that sounds that sounds cool. Magical. Yeah. The camp programs are really cool. We spent a lot of time out in Misery Island, which is... Uh, you know, an underutilized resource. Mm-hmm. And people who come to Salem don't even realize that we have these islands, all this cool stuff out there. You know, Baker's Island, great stories out there. Children's Island, Misery Island, great stories, beautiful places. And it's such a beautiful place to sail, Salem Sound. You know, a lot of people said to me, you should have run this business in Boston. That's where the tourists are. I'm like, I don't want to sail past Logan Airport four Every, times a day, yeah. five times a day. Yeah. And all the yachts. parting my hair and, you know, the industrial waterfront. Yeah. Um, it's great when you, uh, either way you do it, when the, on the ferry. I love the ferry. So you leave on the ferry and you, you get like the little Salem Harbor, little sound, like the Marblehead Coast, and you're coming down, and then it switches into Boston, and you're coming down in the port, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is wildly different than it looked 15 minutes ago. Yeah. And when you do it the other way, you leave all that, and you enter like this nice, quiet, little picturesque little, little harbor. Yeah. The ferry's a good time. The ferry is a good time. It's a great product. And they've, they've really made it good for the for Salem folks and for yeah. commuters. Mm-hmm. Um, for the people who are just visiting, I think that the price point is a little bit high uh, for some of those folks. But I, I never stop recommending that. it because, of course, I want to go everywhere by water. Yeah. <laughs> I got to drive it one time. That was a ton of fun. Ooh. Went on board for a, it was a north of Boston function or a destination mm-hmm. Salem function. And the captain said, oh, you're the guy from the fame. So after we covered all that professional stuff that we needed to discuss <laughs> related to the intersections of ferries and sailing vessels uh-huh. at the mouth of the harbor. He invited me up and I got to drive for a little bit, but uh-huh. they've got much better visibility from their bridge. I was going to say, they, they got to be yeah. sailing. The fame is like driving a bus from the backseat. <laughs> and this guy's up with this, like, you know, panels of glass in every direction, you know, it's yeah. fabulous. Hey, like, so you can see me like miles away and you can't see him till, you know, he's, he's sort of right there. Yeah, but those guys are, are being paid to stay on schedule. Yeah. They, they got to fly from point A to point B, and they're not slowing down for anybody. So I just mm-hmm. try and stay out of their way. Right. Is there, Are there any dangers in the harbor? Like anything? Oh, that... yeah. The harbor's full of rocks. <laughs> I mean, it really is. You know, you can, there's other places in the world that have lots of obstacles and obstructions, but a lot of them, they'll be sandbars uh-huh. or it'll be mud. You hit something in Salem, it's a rock. <laughs> so you really have to pay attention. Don't don't, uh, laugh at me for asking this question, but would you say that there are sharks just like out there, like right there? Of course there are. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what. Yeah. That's why I keep trying to tell everyone and people laugh at me. Did you not see the video earlier this summer of the great white shark in Marblehead Harbor? Yeah. I think I heard about one being caught off Marblehead and I know the Cape is just riddled with them right now. And there's a, there's a couple in the haunt last, last week, week before. Really? Yeah. I poo-pooed the whole great shark thing, but one of our crew is actually one of these guys who like gets up at dawn and goes out to Stellwagen Bank and fishes for tuna. And he said, oh yeah, that's totally legit. Shout out to Liam. Oh my goodness. Okay. Just good to know. Good to know. We get asked that a lot. Are we going to see whales? Are there sharks? (laughs) No whales. Salem Sound is pretty shallow. So, you know, the low tide depths in Salem Sound are, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet, maybe 40 feet, which is a lot of water for the three of us, but Uh that's not a lot of water if you're a whale. Yeah. And there's not a lot for them to eat in here. Every once in a while, they'll come in chasing bait fish. We had humpbacks off Peaches Point. That's cool. Uh, Melissa and I have seen right whales going down the coast to Gloucester, right there off Magnolia Beach, saw right whales blowing. Okay. That That was amazing. But that's, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we're not marketing uh, marine mammals because yeah. that's just not a thing here. And so. No. I've, I have seen the occasional uh, uh, harbor seal uh, out there, but yep. I think that's the extent of it, really. Yeah, just like the whales. They'll come in occasionally after the bait fish, but yeah. it's, it's pretty unusual. And they don't haul out onto the rocks like they do in other places. Yeah. So you can get a good look at them. You just see their heads pop up. And they look around. It looks like someone's 
black lab has yeah. fallen into the water and like looking around it gone it's gone oh yeah. that was a seal so mike captain mike what is the best way for people to book a ticket to sail with you guys and what is your schedule because i know you guys don't operate year round obviously no we don't um and that's a great that's a great question because as, as you guys know um and lots of people around salem maybe don't realize is that lots of third-party ticket resellers get into the business of selling and reselling people's tickets and if you're not buying tickets directly from schooner fame you are paying more money than you need to pay if you're buying tickets through biter or TripAdvisor, i mean they're providing a service and the reviews are great um but you're going to spend more money for the same ticket yeah so always go to our website schoonerfame.com to buy tickets but we start in mid-May. We run through Halloween. We start by running on weekends for about a month. And then like once the kids are out of school from mid-June to Labor Day, mm -hmm. we're sailing every day. And then after Labor Day, we go back to weekends. This year, we're going to run sunset sails during the week in September and October. I uh, love the Kind of as an experiment. Uh, we get some fabulous sunsets that time of year. And um, the, the only reason we haven't done it in the past is that when the kids go back to school, it also means we lose our college-age crew. Uh, most of our high school age crew as well. So sometimes it's just hard to muster up a, a, a crew to do a sunset sail on a Wednesday. Eh, we're going to try it chilly. this year. I'm looking forward to it. That'll be, that'll be pretty neat. I like a good sunset sail, especially off a schooner. But yeah, I used to spend a lot of time in Key West. So we'd go out on sunset sails down there all the time. Yes. And Key West is, that's, that's, that's the sunset. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, one of the schooner capitals of, of, that, yeah. of America, right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there and, um, that's a very, very different destination and a different business model than from what we do up here. You know, it, it's Florida. Yeah. There's like seven schooners competing for a huge potential crowd and people have gone there. They, they, when they know when they're going to Key West that it's an island mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's surrounded by water. And so at some point they're going to go on a boat, activities, um, which yeah. are all assumptions that people visiting Salem do not make. Mm -hmm. um, That's fair. <laughs> so just book online. What, what if uh, people want a, a private, you, you're doing two private charters today? We are. We, um, we do a lot of, I would say birthday parties, anniversary parties, and rehearsal dinners. Those are the... But sometimes you'll just get a group of young adults who want to like not be on the boat with their kids. Okay. <laughs> Those are the ones you got to watch because uh, <laughs> you got to make sure that the crew are communicating about what they're serving to whom. Yeah. Because those those young adults can um, can get out of hand very rapidly. And it's uh, stuff that, you know, hey, I was 35 once. And yeah. I yeah. had small kids and I wanted to cut loose. Um those are, those are fun for the crew, those events. But yeah, birthday parties, anniversaries, that's a lot of fun. The rehearsal dinners are always fun. We tend not to get the weddings because people are nervous that if they book on a wedding and the weather doesn't work out, then the, right. their wedding's going to be ruined. And I get that. It's also a lot of pressure doing weddings for people, you know, especially first weddings because people are very particular about, yeah, they're not, these people are not chill. They're not in relaxed <laughs> mode. They're yeah. in wedding mode and everything must be so. Yeah. Um, and on a boat, you're subject to a lot of circumstances that you have no control over, you know, mostly the weather. But boy, the other day we were, um, we were scattering ashes. We do ash gatherings. People who are sailors or love the sea want to have their ashes scattered. So we're, we go, we went way out towards um, Misery Island and we were scattering ashes. And this guy went by in his cigarette boat and just decided that, Oh, well, look at, let's go over and look at the schooner. And they're literally trying to scatter this, this man's ashes. And this cigarette boat like does a loop around us at 60 miles an hour and zooms on. And we're like, really? <laughs> no. No. Man. Uh, yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're up to me, there'd be a speed limit in Salem Sound. I don't see why we have to have cigarette boats. A few years ago, they even talked about bringing Godzilla up to Salem for October. Oh, but I think, my. I think they got a lot of negative pushback on that. Gosh. Think, yeah, I know. That's not... That's not who we are. I hope that's not who we are. No, it's no. not, 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 not necessary. I don't it's think that's the vibe. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Captain Mike, for sitting down with us, bringing us onto the boat. I feel so privileged being able to walk this deck with no one else around in the early morning hours. <laughs> it's just, it's been an incredible experience and you've been on the list since the beginning. So thank you so, so much. Well, thank you guys for including me and for doing this in the folks of the fame, which is, uh, like I said, this space will never be used <laughs> for something like this again. I don't know. It has been used and never will be used for something like this. Running podcast episodes off a ship. <laughs> this is that juxtaposition, though, of past yeah. and present, you know, yeah. that, that makes Salem the awesome do thing. A, do, do a history podcast about the war from from the, the, the privateering vessel. 
I think about it all the time, especially <laughs> now that I'm in the business of listening to, you know, history podcasts right. pretty much 24 seven. You're like, I could do that. You should. I could totally do that. Except I would need to have the, like the really cool setup that Jeff and Sarah have, which I've just been admiring here. You've got a great podcast voice and you're so well-spoken. So I think you would be very successful. Woman on the boat yesterday was telling me, does anyone ever tell you, you sound like John Mulaney? Oh, I, said, I don't sound like John Mulaney. She's like, yeah, you sound like John you, Mulaney. You, you, you do. Okay, great. As, as, as worse you, people I could sound like, right? Th there are. But I don't as sound you like just Mr. said Ed. that, like that, the phrase, I don't sound like, but I, when you just said it, you distinctly did sound like him. Mm. That wasn't a deliberate channel either. <laughs> I think he's very funny. So there's, there's worse things I could, yeah. There were definitely worse people you could, yeah. There's worse people you could sound like. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, if you are coming to Salem, definitely book a sale with the fame. You will not regret it. Bring some friends, come alone. Uh, maybe maybe he'll let you fire the cannon. You don't let anyone do that, do you? <laughs> I was going to say, I've never gotten to do has that. has an amazing array of laws relating to both alcohol and firearms. The fact that they've allowed the fame for 21 years to operate with both alcohol and swivel guns is pretty amazing. <laughs> So, but one so of the no things we don't it. let people do, passengers <laughs> passengers can help me help me load the cannon. Help load it. Love to get a couple of like eight, nine-year-old boys help me load the cannon. I mean, it's just like a highlight for them. They're right. so excited. But no, they don't actually get to fire it. They, okay. They've got to be far away from the cannon <laughs> okay. when they fire the cannon. Maybe you'll get to load the cannon. But with that, again, Captain Mike, thank you for your time and your ship. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks for listening. See you later. Mm -hmm.